Hey folks, welcome back. This is No Red Tape and I'm Mark Laird. This week's guest is the owner and operator of Cedar Lord Forge. Not only is he an exquisite bladesmith and craftsman, but also a teacher and illustrator whose skill and initiative have begun to draw a massive amount of attention. Grasping inspiration from history and the fantastical mythos of J.R.R. Tolkien, his blades and projects embody detail and imagination while also possessing a unique individual story all of their own. Although he's best known for crafting the weaponry for blockbuster films like Marvel's Thor or forging swords for celebrities like Post Malone, he finds equal joy, if not more, instilling small lessons of subtle confidence and empowerment through teaching workshops in his craft. In short, guys... He's a phenomenal artist who I just really enjoyed having on. This one was really fun for me. I admit ever since I was a kid, I've been a huge fan of fantasy. And when I first became aware of our guest through Instagram, seeing his beautiful and detailed work, I, I knew I just had to have him on. In fact, Google CedarLoreForge.com right now. It'll give you some context and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. We had a great conversation. Now, although we did bounce around a bit, and, and Zoom never really helps with that process, we ultimately got into his background, his influences, his love of teaching, how Cedar Law Forge came to be, and we even wrapped up getting into some details about the bladesmithing process. In listening back, I cannot wait to have him on again. So, here's my conversation with the immensely talented and gracious David Delagardelle. How you doing, David? I'm doing great. Good to meet you, Mark. Yeah, wonderful to meet you. I'm glad. I'm glad we're finally doing this. This is great. Um, yes. So I, I would love to just kind of dive right in. Um, you're obviously a phenomenal craftsman and, and bladesmith. And uh, kind of, where did you get this this passion? Where did you Where did this all start for you? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I. It's been such a long journey uh, and a strange. Uh, uh, pathway that's led me into bladesmithing. So I have to recall, you know, ancient memories from my childhood and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it really starts in my childhood. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in a insanely still artistic uh, family, creative family filled with very uh, entrepreneurial, creative people. Um, and uh, what, yeah, of course, was introduced to, you know, works like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis at a really young age. I love you brought that up. Of, yeah. 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 I love that you brought that up. I see some. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my ode to Tolkien right there. I I think awesome. we can connect on that level. Uh, I kind of I don't know if you're the same as me. I kind of grew up kind of not only I wouldn't say even romanticizing, but I just fell in love with that fantasy and that whole the I don't even know because there's so many different worlds and cultures. I don't know if you can kind mm -hmm. of like combine them into one, but just the realm of that thought process. Um, yeah, I I love it. So yeah, I can totally I can yeah. relate to that influence. Cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's oh, it, appreciate always talking with a, a like-minded person because you know obviously not everybody's into it and that's fine. And yeah. I expect everybody to to get it. Not everybody gets my work, um, but the people who do, it's it's always so cool to meet you know kindred souls, kindred spirits who who get it. I guess you could say because um, it's you know uh, as I'm sure we'll we'll talk about you know the craft of bladesmithing is cool and fun, but for me it's not you know swords and knives. Nobody really needs them. I'm, I'm making a kind of 
uh, no pun intended, a pointless object, you know, that doesn't serve a functional purpose unless people are buying, I'm trying to make more uh, practical knives that people can take out, you know, camping, hunting, fishing, that kind of stuff. But for the most part, uh, I'm making, you know, artistic luxury items. Uh, well, but what draws me to them is, is like, yeah, the bigger narrative and the meaning uh-huh. and the story and you as an actor, you know, obviously you have a draw to, to narrative. So I want to pick your brain about that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. 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 Story. Uh, I love that. And I wouldn't say, I, I would say the, the art that you do is, is just, it's so beautiful. And you, you mentioned, you know, you, you kind of get into this narrative or this, um, I don't know, you bring life to a piece. It's really cool. There's mm-hmm. a whole story behind it. Um, so yeah, before we get into all that, uh, so you, <laughs> yeah. so am I right in saying, so you started this whole craft more than 15 years ago, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, summarized version. I'm terrible at like summarizing. Oh no, you're stories, good. But I'll I, honestly, it. this <laughs> is, I am good for the long story too. It's, it's all good. Yeah. I'm here, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. I suppose that's what, that's what a podcast is for, but, yeah. uh, and, uh, yeah, I appreciate your interest. So it, it really starts, you know, with one of my best friends, Andy Davis, who I still work closely with today. Uh, mm-hmm. just an amazing, amazing man. Um, uh, I don't even know if Andy's 30 yet to be, you know, I'm a terrible friend cause I don't know my, my friend's exact age, you know, but we're, we're so busy working on projects. And yeah. Stuff that, you know, who has time? Who has time for that kind of shit? Um, but uh, no, I've, I've been friends with Andy since uh, him and I were, you know, six or seven or so. And, uh, you know, we we both grew up on a healthy diet of Tolkien and Beowulf and Arthurian legends and all that jazz. Yeah. And I started with Legos by the time we were like, you know, 14, 15, we're like getting into woodworking. Our dad's, uh, Andy's dad actually is a, uh, owns a whole uh, woodworking uh empire basically you know cabinetry and really high-end custom woodworking so we were always around that my dad's a craftsman in his own right and uh they you know our fathers started taking us to different uh trade shows different blacksmithing events uh you know and we're going to these events filled with old geezers in the midwest of indiana you know you You guys are the two young bucks yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, they don't they don't give a damn about the kind of stuff that we're into they're they're like look at my engine or look at my, you know, Chevy or my uh, tractor I rebuilt and, yeah. you know, they're hand forging parts for their machines. And we're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But could you turn that into a sword or like, can we have some scrap metal? Um, so our dads, uh, Andy's and my father really encouraging us at a very, very young age to not just read about it, to get off our asses. You know, I, like most kids, you know, growing up was, you know, had my Xbox and, you know, played Halo and Skyrim and all, and all that stuff. But I Andy and I both of course. Together, I remember one distinctive day where it's like, you know, these are great and cool and stuff, but why the hell are we like playing this on a screen where we could get off our asses and actually do it in real life? Like yeah. Andy's dad had a huge barn and was just like, look, as long as you guys don't kill yourselves and burn the place down, like you have at it, you can take over the barn and um, start blacksmithing. And so we did. And uh, it, it went from there. And so, you know, it was a joke hobby all throughout high school and stuff. And little bit into college um but then in, in our, our first business was called the mad dwarf workshop uh we started with a, a buddy named mason who i've lost touch with i hope he's doing well wherever he's in the world shout out uh, to mason it was mason andy david so mad you know uh-huh yeah of course obvious choice um and all dwarves are always pissed off you know so that makes <laughs> too so yeah mad dwarf workshop and um you know, it was just this joke hobby on the weekends. But then when we were both in college, uh, freshman year, we got contacted by Marvel Studios to make um, some swords for the first Thor movie that came out. So that was obviously a really fun uh, opportunity and blessing. Uh, did that and it allowed me to, to step away from college and focus on building uh, my artistic career through bladesmithing and, and also mm-hmm. my personal illustrative work and stuff like that. So that's the 
summarized version of, of how I got started in this. And it's, it's, it's deeply interwoven with my buddies who I still work with today and are amazing guys. So, yeah, I love the initiative. I love uh, the whole part about getting off, getting off your ass and kind of making shit happen. <laughs> I mean, that's, it speaks to yeah. you and, and, you know, the team in general about being innovative and kind of making things happen. I mean, stuff doesn't happen until you kind of manifest it. So kudos to yes, you. Man. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Well, and I still have to, you know, I, it's not like I've arrived in that mentality. I think every day we all have to uh, fight our inner sloth and be like, you know, you don't want to shame and guilt yourself. That's not the way to motivate. But, you know, yeah, just soak up inspiration, do the things that you love. Also be practical and, uh, and yeah, make it happen. Like you said, because people have so much more. Uh, and this is another whole rabbit trail I could go down. Mm. That point you just made, honestly, is, is, is really, <laughs> I, at the end of the day, it's, it kind of sounds silly. I, I really don't give a damn about swords and knives. <laughs> it's really not why I'm doing it. Yeah. They're, they're cool and they're, you know, they're neat and stuff. They draw a crowd. People are interested. Um, but like my interest only goes so far. Like I, okay. I'm really, the only reason I'm still doing bladesmithing is because it's a great excuse to have these conversations with everybody. But I, I especially, I'm unashamed and unapologetic that I have a specific passion and love for having these conversations that you and I are having yeah. between young men, between young men, especially like fathers and sons. Cause mm -hmm. I think Andy's and my dads were so grateful to have amazing fathers who they knew how to instill those uh, traits of hard work, you know, and uh, perseverance and, and pushing through in us. Um, and not every young guy is blessed with the blessings that we had with the privileges that we had, um, you know, and we weren't only blessed by our dads. We were blessed by so many other, other amazing men in our lives. Um, and so I really want to transform Cedar Lore Forge in the, the future years and decades, however long I'm blessed to be doing this to, to be more about the connections and, uh, and teaching to be practical. I love teaching. That's really yeah. nice to discover. I've, I'm I've found, I love, um, in-person teaching and online teaching. So, yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up and, and that speaks to you as well. Um, so you, you teach a lot and you use this as kind of a, a conduit or a, a place that you can influence other people um, to grow and change and to kind of follow a, a, a similar path of kind of forging your own way and being innovative and, yeah. and helping them. I know you, you said you don't, you kind of, you've moved on kind of from bladesmithing as you, it's a kind of a means of uh, using Connection. it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But as far as, you know, you went to school for art and design as well, correct? Uh, for, a, for, for, for a little bit? A second before, yeah, for a little bit before I dropped out to work on a Marvel movie, uh, and which was, you know, Yeah, I'd love to get into that too later life. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, um, but so as far as your, your inspiration for these things, I know we kind of touched on it earlier. Um, as far as the, the, the fantasy or the, the Tolkien all these, uh, are you an avid reader as well? Is that how you derive a lot of your influence for these projects or how are you? I, I'll totally admit my, I don't know if it's a fault. It's just huh. my skill set. I'm a, extremely, I love reading. I'm just a very slow reader. Oh, dude. <laughs> I'm so actually more I of relate. an auditory learner. Yes. So I, I mean, no, I, I, uh, I read, of course, every day. Uh, just not as, I'm very envious of people who can just blaze through books. Mm. Um, but I am a voracious audiobook learner. Same. I'm an auditory learner. Same. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, I, I said reading, but honestly, I listen to everything that I, I quote yeah. unquote read. So. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely That's, yeah again great to be uh chatting with a kindred uh, kindred mind so um you know and it, it's it's a blessing with my work because i not at, at every stage of of a project but during a lot of bladesmithing you know i've gotten to the point with my skills where i can um almost you know check out and just go in autopilot mode mm -hmm. 
and uh, still be working with power tools and steel and, you know, not kill myself while kind of, uh, you know, in tunnel vision, listening to an audiobook at like 2x speed. Um, but my friends give me shit when I'm like, I'm listening to a book on 2x speed on, you know, three cups of coffee, you know, making a blade. It's like, this could be dangerous. You need to like make it, take it down a notch. <laughs> Whoa, um, take it easy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's definitely how I like to absorb a lot of knowledge. So yeah, um, uh, Audible. Uh, is a is a constant thing playing in my in my earbuds in my shop so no i i i, I agree i think uh i listen to audio audible a lot it's a lot of um great way to learn but also i kind of find it i go on a walks a lot and then you know you kind of can get lost in your head and it's a it's mm-hmm. a way to kind of get through the mindless activity of work sometimes is you can just kind of yeah. like let yourself either learn something or kind of fall in love with a story so yeah i i can't say enough good things about audible i use it a lot too yeah yeah. Absolutely. They should be a sponsor of your show. We just gave them a great uh, <laughs> Yeah, honestly. Right what a great plug, guys. Come on, Audible, if you're listening, <laughs> please, please, I'm here. Uh, you know, I kind of, I didn't mean to limit you earlier. You, I talked about bladesmithing. You're, you're more than that. You're just all, you know, an all-encompassing artist. And uh, I love that. And so uh, me just looking at your work, they're so intricate and they're so, there's just so many different facets to them. I, I mentioned hours. I mean, I literally, I've, I, even prior to this podcast, just in prep, I, I went back and looked at some of the photos of what you have on your site and the tooling and the just, I mean, the, the color you use, it's, it's really, really cool, man. Is that all from your head? Is, do you, do you work with other people to develop that? I mean, you often collaborate, do you not? Yeah, I love collaborating. I mean, there's, uh, gosh, there's just so many. Um, I mean, I don't, I never want, when, when somebody meets me and they're like, uh, it's funny, people often say, oh, man, it's a dying, a dying art, isn't it? What you're doing is like a dying trade. And I'm yeah. like, no, not at all. Not right now, at least, which is great. <laughs> I love it. I love that it's, there's a huge, there's been kind of an ongoing renaissance, I feel like at least for the past several years um yeah it kind of hit mainstream happening yeah mainstream with like uh shows like forged in fire and things like that yep yeah yeah absolutely yeah i i uh that the producers of that show they i i've not gone on it's just not my cup of tea and 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 i would love to you know steer my business in different directions but i've been pleasantly surprised because when uh the producers like they reached out to my my buddy andy and i when the first season we were like eh, we don't know what this is. it sounds kind of yeah uh dubious um but I've been, I've been pleasantly surprised by, by it's a lot better than I thought it would be. I usually know at least, you know, one, if not all the contestants on uh, a given episode and um, yeah. a couple of the, at least uh, former judge Jason Knight's great, great friend of mine. But Jason's a great example. Anybody who wants to learn bladesmithing, obviously I teach, but uh, man, search up Jason Knight. He's just, a, I describe him as the, the Jack Sparrow of the bladesmithing world. He's kind of <laughs> everywhere and elusive and yeah. uh, this wild pirate spirit. Um, but yeah, because of the internet, because of shows like Forge and Fire, because of YouTube, uh, uh, yeah, people, it, it's just, you can, there's nothing stopping you from learning this craft. Yeah. I guess people got the limitations of if they're like, you know, downtown in a city, it's kind of hard to shut up, set up a blacksmithing shop, but uh, you find some other makers, share a space. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's much more doable than people would assume. So. Yeah. I, I, I love that you... Uh you kind of give credence to that show, which is good. Cause I was afraid that um, we were going to talk, I was going to bring that up and you're gonna be like, Oh gosh, that show. Oh, I hate, I cringe watching that show because of, you know, this person's doing this wrong or, or something like that. So I, at least, it, you know, it's for the most part, even though Hollywood's yeah. kind of got their, their claws on it, it's, it's pretty authentic. You would say. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to it. Yeah. I've, I've had friends that go on and obviously they win and they love it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. One of my good friends, I think he went, he, my buddy, uh, if, Matt, if Matt hears me and I'm wrong, he's going to kill me. My buddy, Matt Parkinson, he won, he won, I think it was, I think it was season one, episode one. So obviously, you know, he had a great experience and, and so many of my other friends, you know, I know freaking world-renowned bladesmiths who I look up to um, and they've gone on and, you know, round one, they lose, but you know, they're humble guys and they can take a loss. So there's, there's positives and negatives. And for some people it makes sense to go on others. It doesn't. But, um, for me as somebody who, who my main focus, sure. I sell blades. I make blades. I love making, you know, high end fancy swords and then more affordable like production line stuff. But, um, that, I don't really want that to be my bread and butter focus anymore. Mm-hmm. I want, like I said, uh, connection and community teaching education to be my, my new focus moving forward with Cedar Lore, which is why I appreciate conversations like this. And, uh, and a show like Forge and Fire only helps my business because it gets right. people interested. So, so on that on that vein, um, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, in, in just prep, I was kind of reading through, and you, you talk about the the mythic poetic a lot. Is that something mm-hmm. that you kind of uh, draw from? And yeah, something you you, you kind of want to. I don't even I don't even yeah. know if I want to say lore or something like that, but it's uh, like a culture that I'm I'm searching for the word, but that you kind mm-hmm. of extend out to as a to your students? Totally. I, yeah, I try to. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, when I'm teaching a class, um, whether it's to, you know, a group of adults, men and women, or, yeah. or you know, younger kids, I don't want to uh, necessarily impose my aesthetic tastes or my preferences onto them. Um, but I, I like the concept, and I, you know, got to give credit. I mean, the word um, mythopoeia or mythopoetic, I totally plagiarized from Tolkien. Um, even like, yeah, yeah even yeah. people who love Tolkien have, have read most of his work. Uh, mo- a lot of people are not familiar with a, an obscure poem that he wrote, uh-huh. which you can read online. Uh, it's just called Mythopia. Um, don't ask me how to spell that though. It's just like it's <laughs> Mythopia. Just search it. You'll, you'll find it. Uh, okay. Google will correct it, but it's a really beautiful, really cool poem. Um, and, uh, he's kind of, it's, it's funny. It's almost like, uh, aggressive, pissed off freestyle rapping Tolkien because he's like no throwing jabs and yeah. hooks at like this snobby uh, elitist professors. I, I, I at least I, I feel like I can see some of those notes in it. Okay, um, it's not necessarily telling a story or a narrative. It's it's a uh, like a cultural critique. And actually, maybe I'm wrong in this, but uh, it might actually be he might have wrote it mainly for Lewis for CS, his buddy CS. Oh Lewis. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously, it wasn't exclusively for him, or maybe it was at one point. Uh, yeah, and it, yeah, you got to search it up. And I'm, yeah. I'm blanking on the, the specific details, but I love the poem. It's got so many go- like golden nuggets in it, and in it, he talks about like meta narrative. How you know, in Tolkien's worldview, he believes you know that God is the the cosmic sea, large creator, but we are little creators. You know, mm-hmm. we are. Um, what's the word? I'm losing my Tolkien points as we speak. Uh, failing on the details. Um, are you something about? about like you know oh there's some specific huh. term that he uses that just talk, talking about uh yeah how, how we are oh, sub creators that's the oh, okay yeah, yeah, yeah as human beings you know to your earlier point i mean it's, it's almost verbatim what you said just phrased differently how we words it in the poem mm. uh people have so much more uh agency and power than they give themselves credit for uh i feel like especially in this modern age um you know there are legit people who go through suffering and you know people who truly have been victims of horrific stuff but i think the danger is now we live in social media culture and people can often um 
getting into tricky, tr- tricky, tricky topics here, uh, you know, but uh, I think a lot of people almost like make themselves the victim. I know I've done it in my life. Yeah. It's like you get into this woe is me mindset, uh, which everybody's been a victim at some point in their mm-hmm. life. But, you know, I think a guy like Tolkien, especially in that poem, talks about we have so much more agency than we realize and we can all be victors. It's not an easy overnight thing, but it's a, it's a mindset shift um, to, to cut out the noise uh, which is especially hard in this day and age. Anyway. No, yeah. no, no. Lithophia, I search it up. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of that point, it's like uh, you shouldn't uh, try not to wallow, kind of like shift your mindset exactly. and look for the positive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, a guy like Tolkien and Lewis, if those guys could, I mean, those those dudes saw their best friends get like literally blown up in yeah. their eyes World like, in the muck and the mire uh, in, in, in war. And yet yeah. like they came out of that with hope, I just, it boggles my mind, you know, it makes me feel like a total wuss on um, any day. It's like, I have nothing to complain about. Hey, you and me both. You know, it's like, so, um, but to your earlier question about, yeah, do I try to teach those concepts a little bit? Yeah. When yeah. I mean, there's only so much time in a, you know, week long or weekend class that, that I usually teach, but um, man, yeah, I just love teaching so much. Uh, there's a school down in Franklin, Indiana that I've taught classes at and will be teaching at. Mm. um uh this year in may and uh i decided to label my to name my classes forge your own mythopoetic knife and and i and i taught it last year and when the students came i was like look you know what before we got into bladesmithing they were also like eager and ready to start hammering on hot steel and i was like slow down slow down <laughs> like first i want to hear like who are you i want to get to know you yeah like, let's talk about like what inspires you what makes you tick um you know, where have you traveled? What like memories and, and, you know, uh, I told people to like write down, you know, just a list of things that just make them come alive. And, you know, and then we talk about like, okay, what are, how could we weave that into the the symbolism of your knife? Even if it's not literal, like I like horses. So here's a horse on the handle, but you know, like uh, sometimes I think things are more meaningful when they're subtle or not even explained. It's just like weave it into the knife, whether it's in the decoration, the shape of it, mm-hmm. or uh, in the material that you used and keep it personal to you. Don't tell anybody. Um, so sometimes like I do that in my work, like I'll explain in the commentary, here's what it's about and here's what inspired it. But sometimes I weave things into to, to blades or knives, um, that only I know, or only the customer who's getting it knows. And, yeah. Um, so that's, I guess, a easy access way, uh, to, to approach mythopoetic thinking when it comes to applying it to a, to a craft. So I love that. It's a, similarly in, in my craft, it's oftentimes I'll weave things into characters or in just my 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 buildup of them that uh, only I know and it just en- enriches their life and it makes it that much more tangible to me when I'm playing and therefore the connection yeah. is that much more intense and I you know awesome. I think um, it's it may be similar to you that you know when you do that mm-hmm. it's so much more powerful than to the person receiving whatever art form you're creating because even though that they're not aware of what exactly it is they're aware of I guess that extra attention of detail maybe subconsciously. Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yes yeah that's so huge uh yeah i think people even even if they don't the viewer whether they're watching you in a you know in a film or a show or looking at a knife um i think people really can sense that uh even if it's not explicitly stated uh honestly i think it's a way of respecting the viewer like um assuming you know, just a knowledgeable, a mindful uh, viewer, like just assuming, hey, you have the, the the brain power to read between the lines here and not uh, over explain. So 
yeah, that's no, really cool. I've totally. heard about other actors talking about that approach, and it's super neat. So if I, what is the first thing, I guess, you know, you see me in the crowd, you go, hey, Mark, what's going on? What's the first thing I guess mm-hmm. you take your students through? And, and what's the first lessons you teach? If, if you're at one of my classes, yeah. you're saying, and you're, uh, yeah, day one, like I said, yeah, we are, um, before we start, you know, heating up, well, probably the first conversation is, is safety. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, of course. In the <laughs> you mentioned that. Hot metal. <laughs> it, is, it is. Some people, I, <laughs> I love teaching, but man, there's been some people who have taken my classes where it's like, you need to like take it down a notch. Chill I'm like out. worried for your safety and everybody <laughs> around you because you're so excited. I can imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so there's that. But then uh, once everybody's, you know, sitting and we're going to know each other. Yeah, I, I um, you know, what's funny in, in previous classes, I've probably given people almost too much freedom. Mm. And some people have said, like, hey, you know, uh, give me some constraints to work work with. And so I'm still learning as a teacher, which I find fun. So it's like, OK, in, in my future classes, you know, I've got certain parameters like, you know, uh, not, not, you know, knives larger than this or we can't do this style or, or that. Uh, material or whatever um but of course you know you start with that list of what inspires you as as seemingly unrelated to bladesmithing as it may be uh what kind of things can you weave into uh your knife symbolically and then uh you know even if people aren't you know a big fan of like illustration or or sketching uh you know i'll either help them sketch something out Mm. or you know i just ask them like just try nobody's gonna judge you like just kind of draw some shapes of of what uh what you've seen in, in blades that you like um and then we go from there, you know, start uh, laying out the steel. And uh, I'm really excited. You know, there's so many different approaches to doing bladesmithing. You know, I, like, I don't know if this answers your question, but, you know, not every bladesmith, just for context, not every bladesmith forges. And that's yeah. okay. You know, some people are like, well, isn't that cheating? Is it, is it low quality if you don't? Not at all. Like, there are some amazing world-renowned bladesmiths and sword makers who you know, their, their, uh, their shops are basically just like a single car garage and, uh, all they've got is like a grinder and they're basically, you know, buying a clean bar of steel and just kind of cookie cuttering it to shape. And that yeah. might sound not as epic and sexy and badass as like sludging away on hot steel, but <laughs> that takes an incredible amount of skills. Uh, right. um, or, or you can go the very, very traditional route and, uh, which is a lot harder <laughs> and not utilize as many power tools. So I try to do a good, healthy blend of both. Um, so in previous classes, it also, it's, it's a, there's a limitation of time. So, which can be kind of fun. You know, I try not to let it be like a stressful thing. Like, oh shit, we got to get this done. Yeah. But uh, really just infuse some joy and some excitement into like, into just getting it done in time. You know, it's, I mean, it's teaching a class for people. It's almost uh, it's kind of like a little bit like a forged and fire experience minus the cameras <laughs> where people are like, time okay, we wanna, I want to get my knife done. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, you know, because most people don't have uh, access to the, the kind of tools that we're using. So it's, it's always a blast. I'm really excited about the upcoming classes that I'm teaching uh, at that school. I mentioned Mark Adams down in Franklin, Indiana, uh, because uh, I've, I'm not really, it's funny. I've not seen many, like a couple bladesmiths uh, do it, but not many bladesmiths play around with bronze mm. uh, for, for the blades. Um, there's, there's some guys in the UK who do beautiful, very historically accurate, um, cast bronze age swords, because mm. like in the, the, the bronze age, obviously they were, uh, they were, you know, pouring molten bronze into like a cavity, like t- usually two stones. Like a mold. Yeah. Um, yeah, mold. Um, but, uh, there's some cool, weird, funky space age types of bronze that <laughs> you can get your hands on today. One of them is called aluminum bronze. 
and uh, my good friends at Cool Ironworks, you know, we, we've had access to a bunch of this stuff and have been able, me and my buddy Nate have been playing around with it. And it's the yeah. weirdest, craziest type of material because it's still bronze. It, 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 it looks ancient. It acts a lot like the ancient type of bronze, mm. um, but you can forge it. Uh, uh, the more ancient types of bronze kind of uh, melts at a low temperature. This stuff, yeah. you can get hotter and it, it acts like steel. So uh, at Mark Adams, these classes I'll be teaching in May, um, we're going to be heating up that bronze and it's going to be, it's going to be a very forge hammer heavy intensive class, not very much grinder work. Um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be challenging for the students to take it, but I'm excited to, uh, you know, see who's up for the challenge. Uh, they, they definitely need to work on their, their upper body strength, their arm strength, if they're going to be sledging all day, <laughs> swinging the hammer. but, um, so I don't know the answer to your question, but no, I totally did about, uh, yeah. Inviting people into the, the exciting kind of sometimes stressful but for me mostly uh exciting challenge of bladesmithing in like short allotments of time that's just yeah. kind of how i approach teaching classes so i love that i i think uh what was really cool is you know you, you mentioned basically getting out of your own way and kind of instilling that onto your your students to be able to kind of mm -hmm. like hey when you're creating art you gotta just you know free think get out of your way you can't mm -hmm. be like so mm -hmm. precious about what other people are kind of um looking at you for or expecting of you you have mm -hmm. it has to be an extension of yourself in order to create something really beautiful that you really find yeah. amazing yeah i think that's absolutely. that's something you kind of just were touching on in kind of like a subtle way that you, you impart to your students and really really identify with that that's really cool um thanks yeah yeah of course man yeah. so you we, you covered a lot just then is there is there a <laughs> um I guess material that you enjoy working with the most, or do you find that now because you've been doing it for so long, you kind of want to diversify and, Ooh, I want to try this out because I've never worked with this before. And, and this mm -hmm. is a, such a challenge. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's funny when I first started learning the craft in like the gosh, late, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, that's, that's another question. What was bladesmithing like back then? I mean, what was the community even like? Like <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. We can uh, get into that one. The, yeah. Well, I'll answer that quick. The genesis yeah. of, um, I think a lot of the bladesmithing kind of Renaissance that's now at peak, I feel like started on a, a little forum that still exists. I think I'm actually a moderator on there, but I don't get on, I should, I should get on there. Um, it's, uh, it's called bladesmithsforum.com. It was started by an amazing, amazing, uh, like mentor of mine, mm. uh, like a grandfather figure in the craft named Don Fogg. So I would highly suggest everybody, um, go blow their own minds by, by searching up Don Fogg uh, fog with two G's. And, um, he, he was like a pioneer because, uh, you know, traditionally trained, I think when he started in like the mm -hmm. late seventies or maybe sixties or whatever into the eighties, um, there was a bladesmithing movement in America, but it was mostly like, it, it was guys operating by like very strict parameters. You know, I mean, that's, that happens sometimes in certain movements where it's like all of a sudden people almost create these manufactured doctrines and rules out of thin air. And then people can't escape. It's like, he was like, why do I have to make blades only like this? Why can't I make a weird freakish goblin themed blade, you know, <laughs> or like, uh, so he, he was trained in the, um, and I'm not trying to crap on the movement then there's, a, uh, uh, the American bladesmith society, I think mm -hmm. at the time, uh, which is an awesome organization today. They're a lot more like broad spectrum, uh, uh, list of bladesmiths, but at the time we were kind of very structured and he was breaking the molds and, um, being really artistic. So he 
started Bladesmith's Forum and it, it really took off in the 2000s. And that's where, I mean, I found it when I was like middle, middle schooler or high schooler. Yeah. And uh, my mind was just exploded with, oh. with inspiration. So oh. connected with Bladesmiths on yeah. there, learned from them. It was just like, this was before, you know, like even MySpace and, you know, Facebook or anything. So um, a lot of amazing connections and friendship. I mean, I, I've met guys who are now some of my, my best friends on Bladesmiths <laughs> Forum. Yeah. And uh, it, so I would still recommend people go and check it out. Um, but now, yeah, of, of course, with YouTube and Facebook, mm. um, it's, it's a lot easier to connect with with people to learn. Right. So. That's opened up so many new avenues. Right. It's pretty amazing mm-hmm. uh, what we have access to now. Um, so yeah. but when you say breaking the mold, what is what was this guy kind of doing that was just so revolutionary or in, in inspiring? I think he was just well, I mean, he was just being truly himself. I think he was yeah. having fun having one foot in the, you know, the kind of the cultures, the cliques, the, the established, you know, guilds or groups that were happening in, uh, in America at the time. But he was also like, I mean, he would take a traditional, you know, um, I think it's a, you know, there, there, there are, there are bladesmiths or uh, maybe this is true in like the acting world. I know it's true in like the music world. Mm -hmm. There are people who like, I only stick with this particular style. Like I'm only going to, you know, play box music or, you yeah. know, uh, study, whatever. He was like, I respect that. I'm going to learn from it, but I'm also going to like keep my foot, one foot in that world. And then another in like this fantasy world I'm creating. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, you just have to search up his work. And, <laughs> and even if you know nothing about bladesmith, yeah. I think like we were talking about earlier, you, you don't have to be an expert in a field to see when someone's heart and soul is poured into their, their work. Oh, yeah. and his, his work just drips and reeks of joy and enthusiasm um, you know, and he's, he's a lot older now. I think he's pretty much retired and, and, um, has had some health issues. So he's not bladesmithing anymore, but just such an amazing, amazing man. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, you asked about how, 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 how I got into bladesmithing or like oh, yeah. where, where the online community started. That's basically that answer. But you asked another really good question before that. Rambling, I don't remember. Uh, no, no, you're good. You're good. No, we're we're doing great. Uh, no, that's that's fantastic. So I'm 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 piecing you together a little bit, David. So because it's honestly, I'm getting from you, man, that you're really a person that takes your own initiative to create something, and what you create is really special. And then you try to impart that upon other people, which I find fascinating and amazing. And I and I try to do that myself. So so going back to kind of like what started this whole thing and kind of grew you to where you are today. So this kid, you're, you're, you're kind of like in this family of craftsmen, you have your buddy with you. Um, you know, you start going to these, these, uh, meetups or events where, you know, all these, um, other craftsmen are, and you're kind of like kind of the odd ones out of the bunch because you're, you're in, you draw a lot from fantasy and you, you romanticize Mm -hmm. that. And that really is a lot of inspiration for you. And then you, you both kind of take your initiative and you start doing it on your own. I mean, yeah. and then slowly that kind of becomes where you are today with Cedar Lore Forge. But mm-hmm. how intimidating was that at first? I mean, did you think that was a possibility? I mean, you kind of you kind of stumbled on it again because there was a, a break you had when, when you, you, you said you were in design school and art school and then mm-hmm. kind of left because of that break. But until then, I mean, when did that start? Were you also bladesmithing kind of while you were in school as well i mean oh absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I uh i joke with people i was trying to sail two ships at the same time you know, being a full-time <laughs> college yeah. student and but it was also you know andy and i at the time our business was kind of like blowing up online and we were super grateful for it we were 
um, at the time accepting commissioned orders, which was re probably really foolish for full-time students to be doing. Cause it's like, yeah, we'll make that, that sword for you. Oh yeah. We can get it done in like two or three weeks. And it's oh. like, shit, no, we can't. Yeah, this yeah. is a lot of work. Um, so yeah, that working, um, on that film was, a was a good excuse to, to, to refocus, but you know, um, fast forward, I mean, gosh, that was in 2009 when, um, I was going to Ball State University and stepped out to, to work on that film. And, uh, you know, went about like six or seven years, you know, full time and had a lot of successes, had a lot of, you know, mistakes too, where I got a little bit too, um, yeah, what was one of the really good things you, you asked or said, kind of talked about like, mm. um, focus. I, I, I almost lost my focus where I started to, uh, as, as, as amazing as my friendships and connections were, uh, on that forum, I almost cared too much about the engagement or the collaboration or, um, the approval of these guys, you know, uh, it's great to have the approval or, or the, the, the friendship of, um, mentors and, and people but um man in so many again i would i would think i would assume that you could probably find parallels in the the, the acting world or the music world whatever creative <laughs> endeavor you are yeah it's like are you doing your craft um just for the in crowd like just for your peers mm. uh that's you can do that if you want but like i i don't want to do that i want to do i want to make work that is accessible and enjoyable for everybody um and uh, yeah, some of the mistakes I probably made in that the long season of a few years of, of being self-employed was, uh, you know, caring about craftsmanship is good, but you can, you can get sucked down a wormhole, Definitely. almost navel, navel gazing too much. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what that looks like, you know, being an actor, maybe just overanalyzing it, like the character or, you yeah. know, if that's like what method acting where you're just like, you are that character 24 <laughs> seven. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew some bladesmiths who were just like, they crafted this bladesmith persona and uh it almost became a little bit toxic where it's like bro you huh. realize you can listen to like you can listen to other music other than like celtic music or like right folky old worldy stuff right like it's okay to listen to kanye or like you know death metal it doesn't have to like you don't have to dress up like you're from the you know i'm not that kind of a guy like you're never gonna you, you'll find me dead before i'm gonna like dress up in some medieval garb or something no offense to people who do but that's just not my style so um uh change but i just I, I see a lot of guys get sucked into the wormhole of overanalyzing their craft and comparing themselves mm -hmm. and while you know i didn't necessarily let it affect my you know my life and like the way i dress or the yeah. music i listen to i did in terms of like obsessing over is my work good quality enough like uh oh man i'm not as good as that guy. It, which everybody falls into that shitty trap of course it's, it's so i do toxic. it all the time um <laughs> sometimes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> again it's not, it's not you don't <laughs> arrive at being free from that it's a daily choice to be like no i love what i do i'm confident in what i'm doing definitely um and uh and uh you know yeah i don't know if i answered the question no you did you covered it you honest. covered it well man um I, I was just gonna say it's again it's kind of going back to getting out of your own way and it's funny you you i i kind of I was talking to someone else today and it's, it's weird how things come back around. I was talking about this exact same thing about just like trying not yeah. to impress other people. You should only be trying yeah. to impress yourself and, and doing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, doing what you find value in to the best of your ability and not caring about so, or not so much caring about what other people perceive of you while you're doing it, as long as it's, you know, mm -hmm. you're affecting the world positively and you're having fun while you're doing it. At least mm -hmm. that's absolutely. Yeah. That's it. 
Couldn't agree more. Amen to it. <laughs> it's a wise, oh, yeah. whoever you were talking with is a wise friend. And yeah, it is. Yeah. It's so funny how, you know, how different bladesmithing and acting could be, but they're not, you know, humans are humans yeah. and uh, you know, well, we're both and human egos. Yeah, no, I was, I was going to say, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like bladesmithing is it's a craft and so is acting. So it's, it's you understanding your own instrument, understanding your own tools, understanding how your mind works and what your process is and then growing mm-hmm. from that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was going to say, yeah, you can't learn unless you fail, but I mean, yeah, no, exactly. Sometimes you'll fail a lot and you learn from those mistakes. Sure. Oops. Um, but, but, but I'm almost even questioning that language as it comes in my mouth. Cause it's like, well, sometimes we, we say, oh, we failed, but like, is there even failing in a, in a craft like yours or mine? There's just uh sound like Bob, Bob Ross, like happy mistakes, you know, <laughs> uh, which he's, that, he's, yeah. he's a native of, of, of my area. So I love, I love Bob Ross, <laughs> but, um, no, we, yeah, human beings are so good at just creating these bullshit narrative binary structures of, uh, of, uh, winning and losing. And, uh, especially in the craft where ego gets involved, um, kind of a related tangent, but I, man, I find myself, um, mm. challenging so many of my friends, who I love, my creative friends, who I see them tripping over, tripping over themselves, creating their own obstacles mm-hmm. uh, due to insecurities and shit like that. And um, me just, just desperately wanting them to see how skilled and empowered they actually are, but aren't, aren't realizing. Um, and sometimes I think the best way to love your friends is sometimes ca- call them out in their shit, even if it sounds mean. And with some of them, I'm like, look, you think you're being humble uh, by, you know, not taking that, that, taking on that challenge or not going after that job or um, being like, Oh, I'm not good enough. That opportunity mm. that, that seems like humility to them, but I, I actually think it could be pride. It's a form of pride. It's, it's, it's uh, almost fear of success, you know, like obviously oh, yeah. a person who's like, Oh, look at me. I'm the best. I'm a badass. Like that's an obvious form of pride, but there's other flip extreme. That's like, if you're blessed with a talent and a gift and you're not doing it, boldly and aggressively uh for the betterment and the enjoyment of other people um you're shrinking back and 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 hoarding your gift to yourself and that that can be a form of pride or even selfishness you know yeah i've I've flat out told that to some of my friends straight to their face like i love you i think you're being freaking selfish so get out there and and share your skills easier said than done it's you can't force somebody to it's got to be their own choice no Um, that's a great point i mean i've i've been there too where i think i think everybody's been there where they've had the experience of of doing that thing and also mm-hmm. um seeing it and being like what what the hell are you doing man like you know, stop stop <laughs> yeah. wallowing stop you know you don't you gotta get out of your own way yeah. a little bit absolutely and this is my personal soapbox like this is of course true of men women regardless of age but mm-hmm. just me personally um i have a real heart to specifically have these topics and these conversations with young men just because i was that kid who was just like overly analytical like overthinking and um, except in the area of bladesmithing, I guess that was one area of my life where I was just like, <laughs> but in, yeah. in, in other areas of my life, I would, over, I would overanalyze. And, uh, I really, yeah, have that passion to try to help. I mean, you can, I think it's easier to teach these skills yeah. or these traits of confidence and boldness and creativity to somebody younger than somebody who's set in their ways. And anybody can change. It's mm-hmm. just takes a lot more work when you've got decades of negative pat, negative self-talk yeah. patterns of um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad, I've got an amazing three-year-old son and, and I'm just like constantly pouring, not just buttering him up, not just like building up his ego, but like yeah. genuine empowerment, like 
oh, you are so strong. Or like, I bet you, you know, if, if I'm working out with him or, you know, it's like, you can do some, some, some uh, push-ups with daddy. And he's like, yeah, I can. And, you know, just, um, he's yeah. so fearless and has so much confidence. And uh, yeah, the world will knock him down and, and he will get hurt inevitably. But uh, I want to be an amazing dad and just pour love and um, confidence into him as best I can. And I want to do that for other men through my craft. So definitely definitely i think confidence is something that every every young man should should learn as much as possible yeah um confidence in themselves and there's a there's a true difference between being arrogant and confident um yes and that's yes. that's a good lesson to learn as well um Absolutely. that's amazing man <laughs> so you you mentioned Thanks. you know you're you're a family man and you have this amazing business that you literally have taken the initiative and, and created i mean how difficult was mm -hmm. that kind of are you I know he, he's three, but so three mm -hmm. years ago, I mean, when, when this, when you were building this family, how was it daunting when you have this, everything going on behind you? You're, you know, yeah. I know how it is being, you know, self-employed and it's, you know, mm -hmm. it can be daunting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There has been a lot of uh, battles with myself and figuring out how to, how to do my craft. And, and, you know, so for me, one personal choice I made, uh, in recent years, which I don't even know, I've not been hiding the fact, but it's probably not obvious or apparent mm. if you check out my website or my uh, Instagram or whatever. But um, I, I kind of put Cedar Lore on the back burner um, uh, for the sake of myself and my son, because um, I just needed a, a kind of a reboot and refresh. Yeah. Um, and so I chose to work for my good friends, uh, well, one of which is my buddy Andy, who I learned to craft with, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's like, rewinding back to the story of how we started it's um andy's an amazing bladesmith and, and craftsman yeah he took the the uh very lucrative wise route of <laughs> not just making making artwork and selling it but uh making tools for other artists mm. um and selling those tools so and is that coal ironworks is that is that yeah, where that is exactly that's it yep yep so guys so, check that out <laughs> uh, yeah 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 <laughs> i introduced andy and uh, his now business partner, Nate, two buddies of mine, I introduced them to each other and they quickly became business partners and founded Cole. And so they started Cole, I think a few years ago, um, while I was off doing Cedar Lore, uh, my own work solo, self-employed. And uh, yeah, in recent years, just going through stuff and wanting to just, you know, refocus, rebuild myself, realizing, you know, the best thing to be the best dad I can be, uh, the best, mm -hmm. you know, single dad and, and, and focusing on my craft and my business, I can be used to actually put my craft on the, on the back burner, uh, help my friends build their business up. Um, still doing my craft, but you know what I mean? Just to, just to give myself some breathing room. So that's been a huge blessing for me and like so much fun and a dream come true. And the irony is I've only seen Cedar Lore um, thrive <laughs> and actually become more profitable. It's yeah. Like, isn't it funny how I'm actually putting in less hours to Cedar Lore? Yeah, I'm making more money at it somehow. This is weird. Um, so grateful for the people who, who, uh, so I've got like a Patreon page where, yeah, I was going to uh, get into this. You, you've kind of, kind of yeah, amassed yeah, this, yeah. you know, community that's ever growing uh, around Cedar Lore. And it's, it's really cool, man. People are very passionate about what you do and, and, and seeing you succeed. It's very, yeah. very, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I'm blown away every day. I'm just like, man, I, my, uh, every, uh, yeah. so I've got, you know, like a private uh, Facebook group and Instagram uh, pages where, you know, we all as a tribe, you know, kind of get to know each other and help each other. Cause it's not just me being like, you're, you know, my students, I will teach you. It's like, no, I'm learning from a lot of the, 
some of the people who sign up for my Patreon, it's like, what you're just as good, if not better than yeah. me in, in tons of skills. But it's not about that. You know, it's like it's it's an exchange of knowledge. And we're not just talking about like, oh, the tools we're using to make a blade. We're talking about life. We're talking about business. We're talking about mm. um, failures. And I want to do more of that and encourage more of those conversations. So yeah, my I'm constantly thanking my patrons. They're like, I probably sound like a broken record, but it's that it, I just love the, the community aspect of the craft. Um, so that's been a blessing. How did we get onto that topic? Uh, community that. building <laughs> your <laughs> building your business. Oh, I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, see, yeah, yeah. Um, how I took a break from Cedar Lure and uh, mm-hmm. working for my friends. So to give further context to my buddies and their business, um, Coal Ironworks, uh, we build hydraulic forging presses. So if you've ever watched Forged in Fire, yeah. Um, which actually, it's cool. The, the set of Forged in Fire, they they bought a couple big giant machines from us that that we oh, built cool. at our shop. Uh, that they're going to be on the show now because uh, they're old ones. I think crapped out. You know, they didn't have good, good enough quality ones. Yeah, right, um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so now they've got the good ones. Uh, but they're basically the giant machines that you know. There's uh, power hammers. Those mm-hmm. strike your steel really fast. We make forging presses. Uh, tons and tons of pressure. A little bit slower, but a lot more control. Um, so Andy and Nate, uh, best friends. You know, they're bladesmiths and also like engineers in their own right. So they started this business. It blew up. And uh, around the time I was really, you know, rebuilding myself, rebooting my life, just uh, enjoying life, soaking up, you know, how much how I'm grateful for life. I decided to to move my actually my shop into their space. So mm. our businesses are a little bit intertwined in a, in a beautiful, synchronized way right now. So grateful for them and that. And um, and yes, yeah, so I've been my role there has been being their uh, director of marketing, social media, branding, really helping them, which you know, of course, not only just advertise the machines, but also yeah. um, educate people on how to use them, mm. which I love doing. So uh, yeah, most days are there in the shop. I'll occasionally help the team if they need help, you know, uh, building something. But for the most part, my job is, is education and promotion. And uh, it's very intertwined with my work. So it's, it's, it's a good place to be. So yeah, yet another thing that you are, very skilled at because I, I fell in love with uh, and I, I became aware of you uh, because of your Instagram content and that brought me to your website okay. and then of course now I, I see you've you've grown this massive uh, also following on TikTok I mean you're you're ever expanding and then the video content you create is it's not a, it's very intriguing I mean yeah. it's really cool uh, that's like, you know it's one of those things that uh, not only have I looked at your art and um, the blades that you've made on your website, but I, I just find myself watching your content. So keep it up, man. That's really, really killer. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I need to, yeah, I'm talking about like, get out there doing stuff, but I, I need to get, uh, not need, I want to focus on getting more, uh, uh, rhythmic patterns of posting and sharing content. Cause, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we live in this information age where sure you can sell products and, and ship things out, you know, whether it's a, forging press for a blacksmith or a knife that a collector wants to buy. But it's crazy how much bigger of an ROI you see in the sharing of knowledge, uh, as I'm sure you will probably find with like this podcast or, you know, it's just, it's just cool how when you put aside your ego and start helping other people and uh, having good conversations like this, mm-hmm. like good things happen. So, uh, and to give further context, I still, I still work a little bit with my friends at Cole, but even just recently I've kind of stepped back. So I can now focus more on cedar lore. So that's been like just in the past couple of weeks. So it feels good to, to have, um, still be working with them and collaborating with them, but have full time to focus on, on my business again. So, mm-hmm. and it gives me a lot more freedom with my time and travel and teaching more as I want to do. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. A killer. I, and I, I love that we're bouncing around a lot and I, I'm going to shift a little bit and bring it back. Um, sure. So you've established uh, building kind of this, this brand and business early on. And I don't know if it's Cedar Lore, Cedar Lore yet, but you're in school and then all of a sudden you get this kind of opportunity to work on this mm-hmm. massive production. I mean, tell me, tell me about how that happened and what, what was that like? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Uh, so that was again, back when Andy and I were kind of running a business together, but both of us were in school. Right. Um, and you were saying yes to all these projects and, that maybe you didn't have time for, but yeah, still getting it done. I think more than we could do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we get it all done. We'll just sleep two hours a night. And you know, not? Andy's girlfriend was like, what the hell are you guys doing? And you know, <laughs> my friends were pissed. So, um, yeah, we, we said yes to it. It was like, we had a month this was like dead of winter 2009 um we had a month to make uh five swords total okay we made like two real steel and bronze ones and then the rest were like aluminum and rubber and uh it was nuts um we didn't like go to so the film was the first store movie was i think made uh there in california and a little bit in new mexico we didn't go there or anything we didn't go to the set but yeah um, we, the production team, when they emailed us and we got on a Skype call, we asked them like, how did you find us? They're like, yeah, yeah we were just searching Google and you guys are the only ones like aggressively putting up content. <laughs> <laughs> and I think at the time, like other bladesmiths who are, you know, of course, like, you know, twice as old as us, been doing it way longer, better work. They were just not aggressively, yeah. um, joyfully sharing their skills. Kind of like we were talking about earlier. And we were, and so we got found a lot more easily. And I think there was a draw too, because they were like, oh, these kids are the kids, you know, they're probably going to appreciate the project a little bit more than some old pot geezer would, you know, uh, <laughs> who's been doing blacksmithing forever. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so that, that, that's, that's how that came about. It was kind of quick and then over with, and then yeah. I had to keep it secret. Andy and I did for like a year plus until the trailer came out and we were allowed to talk about it. Um, it was fun. You know, it's one of the things that we're well known for, but you know, it was just another project. The really meaningful ones, you know, have been the past 10 plus years of yeah. you know, doing commissions for people where it's like a guy who's like, Hey, I want to, I want a sword that I can pass down to my kids. It's like an heirloom. Yes. Um, you know, or like, Hey, I've got this piece of Oak from my grandpa's barn. Can you put it in a handle? Just like cool, meaningful stuff like that is, yeah, is what really gets me excited. So, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a fantasy that I have, um, but uh, <laughs> awesome. Dude, come to a class. Let's make a nice Dude, class. I would Keep love to, here. of course. Um, definitely, definitely. Uh, so, so moving on from that, that's very cool. I mean, would you say that, and then let me formulate my thoughts real quick. So mm-hmm. going from there, you, you kind of progress the, the business is, is growing. You're starting to get well-known. Are you putting out, when you say content, is that kind of like when you started to delve in yourself with like video creation or were you always passionate about that as well? You know, at the time when, uh, when Marvel reached out to us, I mean, it was just like, we were, I think we had like just made a Facebook page. Oh, okay. Had, you know, Facebook was like in its, in, in its yeah, infancy. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I, I should have gotten on the, uh, on the, uh, the YouTube bandwagon a lot sooner, uh, so yeah, yeah, we, we were just putting like the occasional stuff on like MySpace or, you know, Facebook or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and they found, and I think Flickr, I think they might've actually found us through our Flickr page. Oh, at the wow. time. Yeah. I don't even know if that site still exists, but uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Very cool. And then it slowly grew from there and then you started amassing this, this community, which is still growing right now. Yeah. 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 I launched the Patreon page. Oh, gosh. Uh, 20, 
2016, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that that was a huge turning point for me in realizing like, okay, I love I love making swords and stuff, and but you know, I'd much rather <laughs> like the joy. The, the joy I, I get from, you know, working on a film or making a sword for a celebrity or whatever shit does mm-hmm. not compare to the joy I see when I'm like teaching a father and son in, in my shop and the, the son's just made like a little, you know, railroad butter knife that he's yeah. going to like give to his mom or something, you know, like that's just so much more meaningful. And that kid's never going to for, forget that. Whereas, you know, movie prop gets thrown in a, you know, warehouse or something. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> no, totally. So, yeah. So the answer, you know, progression from there. Um, yeah, there was, you know, many years of, of me working, doing commissions. Um, but uh, yeah, 2016 around that time was when I definitely realized, okay, teaching, teaching is where, where my passion is at. Mm-hmm. It, it clicked earlier when, when you were talking, um, probably another par- parallel between our two crafts that we could relate is, um, I mean, I'm an extrovert. I, I, I don't get sick of, you know, conversations. Interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, I would imagine that like the collaborative spirit that happens at one of my classes is probably very similar to like a, you know, acting rehearsal or mm-hmm. um, the kind of engagement that, that you might find in your craft. I don't know, but I, I, I would assume it's probably something similar because one of my favorite things is when I'm teaching a, a class to see the other students help each other, especially if one mm-hmm. uh, guy or gal is really far along or they just get it, they have a, a natural skill, they'll, they'll step up and, and help the other students. It's like, so cool to see so rewarding um definitely yeah. it is that's yes I, I agree with you that's really that's a really great insight just to hear from you um so i i don't know if you're like me i so i know i know you love it, the connection a lot but as far as on on the creating art level which not to say that creating connections is an art in itself <laughs> yeah, but <yeah>. uh <laughs> on the creating art level i mean do you get is your high from do you get the high from seeing like revealing the work and like other people's reaction to it or is it the high actually from the process of creating the art that's a good question oh man hmm because i would say like for me i would say i give such a high you know creating the heart uh creating the art rather um but i would say that when it's it's finally revealed and i'm you know doing it or performing or being the, the whatever character there is a certain high you get, no doubt, of when you, you know, when I'm acting or when when people are acting in general, when you have an audience, just like, you know, all the attention in the in the room is focused on you, and you can hear a pin drop or something like that, yeah, and you, yeah, yeah. you know that everybody everybody's kind of in this one same plane, their whole mental mm-hmm. state, which is it's such a high for me. It's not necessarily like I don't necessarily not it's it's great, but I don't. Mm-hmm. it's not the high that I get from, uh, or it's not the, I don't rather, I don't enjoy as much as the um, adoration you get afterwards after a completing project. Sure. Like I'm sure you do where people are like, wow, that's amazing. You, you, you get this, but it's actually like, you know, in the process of doing or in the process of creating for me, that's where my high comes from. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally get that. Maybe it's, it's like the, uh, the high of being seen or people getting it. People, yeah. people like, you realize when somebody's seeing the same thing or feeling mm. the same thing. Yeah, that's huge. I'm sure that's what musicians feel when, you know, they're on stage or whatever. I don't have that experience, but uh, yeah. So to answer, um, I like the distinction between, is it the process or yeah, the process the better sharing? 
it probably <laughs> when I was when I was growing up and still yeah. learning, I think I probably did put too much of a unfair little bit of a just not very gracious to myself pressure on get it done, get it done, and make it amazing, and yeah, you yeah. prove yourself. Which can you know it's good to it's good to strive for excellence, but it can become toxic if you put your soul's identity in that. Um, so I used to only care about the 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 finished results, and then you know some of the vanity metrics of like oh is it do people liking it? It's like mm-hmm. now I don't care. Now I mean it, it feels great when I get a comment, and people right? Get it? I mean even the other night like on Instagram, some guy was like I don't even remember what he was, some some he he immediately knew like the character in an illustration. It's like dude, that's totally so and so Rome from the Silmarillion, and you know made some reference. It's like yeah. you get it, you get it. Um, that's awesome. But I think I think now it's probably an even appreciation of both um of the 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 journey and the process and the the sharing of the final thing but now that so much of my work has become the sharing of the process every single stage of it is sharing so if that makes sense you know and and if anything i think people people probably enjoy the the viewing the the making more than they I don't know. It just depends on the person. Some people don't care how it's made. They just want to see a cool blade or own it or, you know, handle it. Yeah. But uh, there's some people who only care about the process because they want to do it themselves. And so I think I'm in a place where I just enjoy all of the process. Yeah. The whole and, thing uh, throughout. I want, it, I want to invite as many people into it as possible. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. That's always interesting to hear from other like artists in general about, you know, where they derive their high um, Mm -hmm. and and what kind of like keeps pulling them back and pulling them back. Um, Because I think art in general, at least for me, it's a grind at times. You know what I mean? You have to kind of like put yourself in it. Obviously, you get that motivation and high from that connection you you receive from the other people that you're around when you're presenting your art or in the the process of making around other people. And Mm -hmm. um I think similarly, I, I get a high of like, okay, now I got this character, I can, I can um, delve into it and, and get that high from it. Um, but yeah. man, there, everything around outside of that, uh, in the rest of the process, there are definitely parts of it that are the grind that you just have to get through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I don't know. I'm not an actor. I mean, I, I was in a couple, granted, I was in a couple of Shakespeare plays when I was in like middle school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Know, even, even a Shakespeare play has its own. Uh, uh probably adrenaline high especially when you're a kid but um i would imagine that you probably it's got to be like exhausting i mean Hmm. because like when i do public i I really enjoy public speaking and um but yeah you got to be on and focused and um, engaged and i I would imagine pouring your heart and soul into a character is not just mentally but even physically exhausting (laughs) i would think right yeah i mean it definitely can be uh i mean at the end of the day you know it's not don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't, I can easily, you know, talk about it for, you know, ungodly amount of hours because, you know, it's just sure. something I do similarly to probably what you, you do as bladesmith and you probably could talk on and on, but, um, it, I would say that, yes, it is, it can be exhausting, especially if you get like an emotionally, like really tolling character and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to get, cause I used to, I think when I was younger, got really precious with it. Like it was, Hmm. it is so important. You know what I mean? But, you know, but I, I have to, now I tend to kind of take a step back and think, you know, I'm not curing cancer, but you know, in the moment it's, you know, it's important to me. And I I obviously want others to get um, some positivity out of what I'm doing and, and, and reflect Mm -hmm. on, on what I'm bringing forth. But 
at the end of the day, I can't be so overly precious with it. I think it harkens back to, you know, getting out of your own way and not getting lost mm-hmm. in um, just delving too deep with yourself, not, not taking everything yeah. so seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's just like something throughout life. Everybody needs to assess. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah, it's to a T, to a T exactly like part of my story I was trying to articulate of, mm. yeah, a season where I did a lot of great work, loved loved uh, being self-employed and doing commissions, but yeah, I got in my way so often overanalyzing and comparing and... Um, what do you yeah, think that again, comes these things are yeah. easy. What's that? I was going to say, what do you think that comes from, from people in general? Is it, do you think that, do you think that's more prevalent now because of social media overanalyzation or do you think that think just people... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a really, sorry, no, no, sorry to this is a really good question. <laughs> uh, well, what was your other example of where else do you think it comes from, though? Or like, I, just, it, I was I, just going to say if, if some people are naturally um, kind of partial to being over analytical, if it's like a childhood, mm-hmm. I don't even want to say trauma because I think that's overused because I don't know if sure. it necessarily could come from a trauma, maybe. But, um, sure. You know, something, something from just how they grew up that they become over analytical. Because you, you mentioned you kind of are, but I yeah, know, yeah, yeah. you know, I can relate to that. So, so yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant stuff. I do think it's a bit of uh, both points. That yeah, social media does not help. Right, right. For, you know, our generation and stuff. Uh, any generation it's not like it's not like boomers are immune to getting sucked into facebook or instagram yeah. trauma you know um or you know identity stuff um but yeah some of it too i think is 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 a bit of personality you know nature versus nurture oh damn there was an amazing video i saw the other day huh. it wasn't like a ted talk but um i, I don't even i wish i could recall <laughs> the lady who's like a sociologist or something she she was um yeah, yeah, she kind of broke down in like a work setting, like four personality types. And, and I know one of them was like the questioner. Okay. And uh, I think I used to be maybe a little bit more naturally drifting towards the questioner, which is questioning other people, but then questioning yourself. Mm. And I think I've turned into a little bit, another one of the characters was a rebel. I think I'm a more of a happy rebel who works with people well. <laughs> At least that's what I strive to be. Yeah. Um, but uh, dude, yeah. And again, like, this definitely applies certainly to men and women young and old, but I'm, I only know what it's like to be a guy. And so, and I, I just know uh, a lot of young men and I don't fully understand why or what it is. Um, it's just some toxic traits and culture. Maybe I think a broken education system a little bit. Mm. Um, an understandable fear of guys not wanting to be toxic, you know, which is like fair. And yeah, you know, there's, it's like, I think culture swings, the pendulum swings. So, you know, you might have, you know, I think it's safe to say it was, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever generations of men who were just like, oh, F it, I'm, the, I'm a god, essentially. And has it swung to the other side where guys are just like so analytical, so fearful of, God forbid I have some confidence, you know, God yeah. forbid I, you know, believe in myself. It's like, well, that's not healthy either, you know? Yeah, yeah. You gotta yeah. find that healthy middle. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the causes are, but I know that it can be helped by loving the hell out of young men and uh, empowering them. I, like, yeah. I look at, I, I wasn't trying to shit on my own craft earlier when I'm saying I don't care about knives and swords. I mean, it's no, 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 no. I kind of don't. But, but that's, that doesn't yeah, encompass look, everything you do. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and what I mean by that is I look at, I'm looking at my craft now. I think, um, I mean, I parallel it with like a sport or like, mm. like, like other guys do 
uh, men or women, but I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about men right now. Uh, how, how guys find an out, especially young men find an outlet to learn about themselves and learn how to engage in mm. like a combat sport or basketball or football or whatever, or, or maybe music, you know, it's just every um, guy, you know, it can be toxic when guys are like, Oh, it's only manly if you're playing a sport. Like, I love sports, but that's not where I found my identity, you know, necessarily growing up. Um, but it can be, it's, it's good to find a part of yourself, but you don't want to find all of yourself in, in a certain thing. Um, what was my other point? You know, I think you follow what I mean. It's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I look at, um, I look at bladesmithing specifically when I'm teaching young men in particular as an opportunity for them to surprise themselves about what they're capable of to, to, it, which is, you know, a common, that's, that's what a, what a coach is doing every time he's out on the field. It's like, okay, you're, you're, I see your body and your brain telling you, you can't, but you can like yeah. push yourself further. Um, it's empowering. Guys do it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. The freaking endorphins and serotonin and adrenaline <laughs> that probably happens when, you know, um, I mean, I know from my experience playing soccer growing up and stuff, it's like, yeah, when you uh, not even just like score a goal, but, you know, run an extra mile than you did last time. Or if you're in the gym and you're, you know, lifting a heavier weight, it's like, I think those type of same experiences can be had in a craft. Um, and you can certainly have them on your own. But like I keep saying, I, I find it the most enjoyable when you're experiencing those moments with other people um mm. but uh i think the nature of of a lot of physical crafts this is where i'm maybe somewhat jealous of you like an actor i would imagine you know acting it's 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 all social <laughs> um <laughs> i see so many uh physical artists working with a physical medium mm. um yeah just getting sucked into a vortex of navel gazing and uh and uh yeah that's that's what i want to fight against so yeah, no, I, I I tend to agree. That's that's great. Um, you you brought up something, and I wanted to bring it back, and I'm trying to think of what that point was. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny, you know, via Zoom, we, you go through so many points, and then and then you're trying not to interrupt the other person. I just don't want to blow past uh, something. Uh, man, what was that? <laughs> it's okay. We'll, we'll move uh, yeah. on. No, well, you you said an amazing thing earlier that I I I uh, what was it? What, you asked about? Oh yeah. Um, totally rewinding back. Yeah, no, no, please. But I, I, I appreciated your question earlier about, um, uh, different, different material materials or mediums or like yeah. what's something new that I'm working yeah. with. Um, that's a super good question because, um, <laughs> rewinding back to my immature self when I first got into this craft mm. and I was weaving too much of my, my ego and my identity into this. Like I said, you know, people, people, kids in this case, make up these arbitrary random rules that, you know, act like, like they're written in stone. And one of the rules for me was like, oh, a blade's only real or high quality for tan forged. It's like, I was saying that out of ignorance. That's not true. Mm. Um, and uh, so, oh, shoot, where was I going with that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've done um, that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. okay. Materials. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, your, your material question. So yeah, I used to be so obsessed with like, got to go the old way. And I think there's a benefit to that. Mm. Like when you're first learning a craft, like go deep. Um, and you'll probably hit the bottom and, and knock your head when you go that deep, but uh, go deep, learn the hard way. Um, but I'm in a season of life now where it's like, okay, I, I know how to make a sword basically out of dirt with no power tools. I can do that, mm. but I don't need to do it to prove my skill. I don't need to do it to, to feel good about myself. Um, I might do it for like a future video or something or whatever or right. to, to educate people. But um, 
now I, I'm unashamed that I'm doing like a production line, for example. Um, you know, little little immature David would have assumed <laughs> that was cheating. Yeah, uh, and it's not. It's 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 great. I mean, um, and to explain what I mean by production line, that involves you know I, I design in collaboration with some friends of mine, uh, amazing bladesmiths and designers, a knife that I love, a knife design on on paper. Then it gets into AutoCAD. Then we take it to either a CNC uh, machinist or a water jet machine, and they're basically printed out. You know, the water jet just cuts out the blades. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, um, I, I just launched uh, two different production line knives. I'm super proud of most of them are sold out. Um, and uh, they were amazing. Like, I was so proud of them. Like, and it was, I was able to bring the price down a lot more than I um, normally am because I minimized the amount of tedious handwork, um, automated a lot of things, outsourced a lot of things, you know. Um, and so that's like, modern bladesmithing to the max but the finished result i think is still i know is still high quality it it, it has a look and a, a feel of a, a pretty antique you know blade yeah um but that's just one example of like uh, are those uh how i'm kind of are those the river break knives is that what i'm yeah yeah, yeah 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 yeah, so yeah. those and then uh, uh um uh trail tooth uh saxes was yes what call them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so those were all uh, made with some amazing friends. The the smaller, the the trail tooth ones were made with my buddy Colin, mm-hmm. and then uh, Luke Shear, a good buddy of mine from Texas. He helped me make those chef knives. He did most of the work on the chef knives. To be to be honest, amazing, amazing bladesmith uh, uh, engineer is his day job. So, um, <laughs> wow. So that's I think a prime example of like, um, yeah, a diversity of materials trying to explore and the horizons of, of how I do my work. Mm-hmm. Um, not everything has to be like this earth shattering, intricate gold inlay, you know, you know, I'm, 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 I'm super proud of these super simple knives, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and that's a new thing. Well, everybody, you guys need to go to cedar, cedarloreforge.com and, and check out those knives. Those are really <laughs> cool. Um, I, I was looking at them earlier. Um, it's very cool. So I, I, you kind of mentioned it with the, I, I assume it's very different with a production line versus your other pieces. As far as mm-hmm. um, other pieces, can you take me through your process of you as an artist? Like, how do you do you come up with this idea in your head and then you take it to paper, you put a rendering down and then you go forth from that? I mean, what is what I mean, all of a sudden you get an yeah. idea. What do you what do you do? It's a great. Great question. Um, so the first step in the process is where I've definitely gained from um, amazing bladesmiths learned from guys like Don Fogg, who I mentioned earlier, that grandfather figure in the craft. He, uh, because I love approaching the craft similar to him in that I I try to have one foot in history and then one foot in fantasy or my own world, whatever I'm I'm cooking up original ideas. And so uh, I've got like a, a long a long laundry list of dream swords that I would love to make. And the majority of them are, I was going to ask you um, about that. If you had any dream yeah. projects you wanted to oh, do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just not enough time in the day or right. people willing to pay as much as it would be worth. Mm. Um, but uh, most of the swords on that list are like uh, historical swords, like swords yeah. that you could go and see in the Royal Armories Museum in Leeds or somewhere in Dublin. Um but, you know, I love, I love taking inspiration from a lot of these historical artifacts because you can see the majority of it, but it being an old artifact, you know, the grip has eroded away and scabbard's long gone. So there's some, there's some free range room for, for an artist like me to be creative and uh, breathe my own life into it, but still be accurate, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, if it's a if it's a very historically inspired piece, I'll obviously start by devouring and studying a bunch of the uh, photos of the artifact and measurements, mm. and drawing it out. Um, even if it's a purely fantasy piece, um, I'll still try to approach it with historical principles in mind, um, uh, proportions and stuff. And uh, even, yeah, even a, t- a totally mythical or fantasy knife or sword, I want to be uh, functional and grounded. Um, I think it's just fun to, I, I don't want to just, you know, make wall hanger art. Um, yeah. Which, that's cool if you want to buy a sword like that, but I want to, I think people are willing to pay more knowing that it's a, it's a real. Yeah. It's a real piece. actually. Sword. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even if I hope they never put it to use. <laughs> right. So that's, that's, yeah, the basic simple summary, obviously, you know, my friends and colleagues who kind of partner with me on Patreon, Patreon, I'm, I'm sharing daily content of what that looks like when mm-hmm. I'm, you know, sketching a design out or in my shop, actually forging and grinding a blade to shape. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to to share that, but it's it's a lot of tedious work. Even even when you're using modern tools like the big giant hydraulic forging presses that my buddies at Cole yeah. build, or you know uh, modern power tools, it's um, to to make a good blade is very tricky. So yeah, so I mean, when it comes to these beautiful content uh, concepts like the tooling and the the leather work, I mean the the all of that. I mean, is that you as well on on all of that? Yeah, yeah, everything. Wow. I mean, unless it's otherwise specified, right? Like unless you name it. Piece like, um, like on the, the 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 production line knives that I and I only did to be clear, uh, twenty of each of those. So they're small batch, just you know, um, twenty of each. Um, one on on my one off pieces. Uh, yeah, it's everything you see is mine, unless I I make it clear that it's a collaboration with a friend. Um, so, you know, the scabbards, the carvings and all that stuff. So, and bladesmithing is fun in that, in that I love it as a craft because it's actually mm-hmm. like an amalgamation of tons of different crafts. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's woodworking, it's leatherworking. And a lot of people don't realize historically, it's a well-known proven fact that almost every culture, you know, once swords were actually made for, you mm-hmm. know, warriors and whatnot, um, a single sword was almost never a, a single guy's job to craft it was a team effort back then so you would have the guy who just forged the blade you would have the cutler who put the handle on the the hilt and stuff of course they would collaborate and communicate with each other you'd have probably the scabbard maker um so that kind of stuff is is well documented um you would not want to be the 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 chainmail maker though because they've they've I remember reading, they found archaeological evidence that the guys that were linking together little bits of chainmail were, were probably slaves. So not a very oh, happy man. time in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and even actually, it's funny. Um, uh, it cracks me up when I see people and you know, I don't care. It doesn't, doesn't bother me to get negative comments. When people will see, you know, footage of, you know, me using a power hammer or a forging press that my friends build at Cole. And they're like, Oh, isn't that cheating? Like, you know, why, why don't bladesmiths do it uh, the old fashioned way? And it's like, I could, but you realize historical, uh, historical master bladesmiths probably had like four or five young, yeah, they had a young team. slave dudes that were the ones sledging away. It's like, yeah. I'm, I'm not looking for slave labor. I'm, I want to get this done in a timely manner. You don't have anybody hiding in the back or anything. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> machines are a little bit more ethical uh, yeah. to utilize in, in a given time. So, um, yeah. Wow. I mean, so... When you're when you're crafting, I mean, what is the most difficult process for you? That's a question I always I always think. Is there is there a difficult process that you kind of dread, or is it kind of like the the point? 
that's a good good question um yeah i think it's probably universally agreed upon with i would say it's safe to say most bladesmiths would agree it would probably be the moment of uh quenching the blade when you're heat treating it yeah i've heard um yeah. so and, and people get glimpses of that on forged and fire I, I really wish they would go into more detail it's could you explain buddies of mine who have gone yeah. on the show could you explain yeah, what yeah, that yeah, what that is yeah just for people listening yeah so so um heat treating is in my opinion how i would define it a a, like a three-step process essentially Mm -hmm. you start by uh normalizing the blade or annealing it uh you could say which is heating it up and letting it air cool um so so you're you're basically relaxing the grain structure of the steel Mm -hmm. the forging process puts a lot of steel almost has like a memory in, in a sense where you know when you strike it with a hammer um at a molecular uh, level if you you know zoom in with a, a microscope you can see it, it looks like um the grain structure of steel uh looks a lot like uh frost on a window it's really cool okay. to see close up um the kind of like geometric sharp patterns and forging makes those patterns really disrupted really random really chaotic so if you were just to aggressively forge a blade even if it was straight um but you didn't normalize and uh, normalize it if you were to quench it in oil, it remembering and knowing all of those stress points would warp and corkscrew and go all over the place. So mm. um, heating it up and letting it air cool kind of, you know, Zen relaxes the steel and tells it to <laughs> calm down and breathe. Yeah. <laughs> so I usually do that. Um, if it's a forged, I do that even if it's a stack removal cookie cutter blade, um, still, still will normalize. Um, once, once the grain structure is smooth and even, then you move on to heating up to do the, the critical point of quenching it. Um, some steels are made to where you can quench them in water, but I don't work with any water quenching steels. Mm. The steels I work with are made to quench in oil. Um, and you can get real technical. I mean, there's dudes who obviously go to engineering school to learn this stuff at way greater depths than I know. Like my buddy Luke, whoa, <laughs> <dropped> <laughs> you guys. my buddy Luke, <laughs> Luke, for example, who, uh, helped me make the, the chef knives. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a, he's a, he's a master at these skills, but, uh, so I, I stick with very simple, um, oil quenching steels. So you heat it up, uh, to about 1500 degrees and, uh, quench it and say a quick prayer to, to make sure that nothing, uh, nothing goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And you uh, take it out and, uh, check for straightness. You've got a brief window of time, uh, where you can straighten it, but it's only like, I would say like 20 to 30 seconds or so where you can really kind of straighten it and, and not okay. risk it breaking because what, what quenching and the oil does is um, it creates uh, in the steels that I use uh, a grain structure called martensite. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what you want to achieve to get a hard blade. Um, so martensite is good. But the problem is it's often too hard. Um, and so the way to keep that hardness, but dial it back a bit and, mm-hmm. and have some softness is to temper it. Uh, and so you can temper multiple times or just once, depending on the, the heat you're going to, but tempering is heating it up to a much lower temperature, typically somewhere in between 400 to 500 degrees. And you hold it there for, um, anywhere from an hour or a couple hours. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the, the, the critical, uh, heat treating is, is what those three, uh, processes altogether is called. And um, quenching specifically is the stressful moment because, you know, I've poured like a month's worth of work into a blade, quenched it because I did something wrong. It like snaps in half, you know, (laughs) and you're just out that work. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was my next question is if uh, that ever happened to you. And oh my gosh, I can't imagine 
the low point you feel right after that. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's even worse. It's even worse if you're collaborating with a friend and you break a, a friend's blade. Oh, I did that to my buddy Luke. No. Yeah. Oh, I felt like such a sh- shit bag. <laughs> so. Oh my um, god. Uh, thankfully, that's not happened to me in like probably five or six years. I I, I work with steels that I know well. I'm confident mm-hmm. with. Can take my time. I'm in no rush. But uh, yeah, it can get really really stressful. So. <laughs> yeah and, wow. and, and i love forged and fire they, they, they obviously make it really cool and, mm. and cinematic when the guys quench the oil uh, i wish they would show the tempering process i think they do that off camera but it's a cool it's a crucial part of the bladesmithing process and so i want more people to be educated about it and understand it um even if it doesn't make for good tv when you're uh you know heating up a blade slowly in the tempering kiln so yeah yeah i know i think this is really cool man i think it, it's it's fascinating to hear about the craft um, today and how it works with the hydraulic presses and things like that, knowing that the art is thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. It's- mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, it's funny. I joke that it's not a joke. It's serious uh, about there are some like Viking era blades, for example, that have such insane, beautiful uh, folded pattern welded steel. I was going to bring a folding Damascus steel folding blades. Necks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're just so complex, and guys today, with all of their skills, all of their knowledge, struggle to make blades of this caliber. Um, and it, it's and it's like it just is mind boggling when you think about these swords were made in like essentially dirt huts with no electricity. You know, nuts. Um, and nuts. we we with all of our tools struggle to to make. Some yeah. of those patterns. So yeah, it's very humbling to say the least. Yeah, could you could you speak to that real quick? I, I don't know if people know what folding is. Could you explain what folding yeah. a blade is? <laughs> That's it. So I love this topic because it because uh, I know the Jap the uh, Japanese sword making they fold the blade a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I love um, the the process that goes into Japan. The Japanese sword tradition is so different so beautiful so different uh from like the western you know european style that i i do mm-hmm. um their steels are more typically water quench uh capable mm. and um and so yes they 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 fold it so the this ends up often being like a really funny i find it amusing and funny now mm. uh triggering triggering a lot of uh, keyboard warriors in, in youtube comments or on tiktok or being like <laughs> damascus steel that doesn't exist because the terminology is so confusing for people uh. and you know when people let their egos go too far and they think they're 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 experts after watching a couple episodes of forge and fire they'll mm-hmm. uh, they'll they'll leave spammy comments um so a lot of a lot of the confusion around this is in the lingo so uh, Damascus steel is what people often call the layered or folded steel. And that's a fine, I'm okay with that term that I think it's a, it's a perfectly fine lingo. Um, I can understand people's confusion because historically more specifically, that was referring to obviously a type of steel mm. that was, you guessed it made, you know, in that part of the world, yeah. like Damascus and, um, uh, similar in, in, in India. Uh, I think the more accurate term for that type of steel is, is Woots. Uh, mm-hmm. roots or crucible steel and that's actually done by there's actually really no folding involved from my understanding i've got some good friends who, who make roots guys like uh, uh rick fur in door county wisconsin and a few others um it's made in a, a crucible pot where you kind of put all the ingredients in and you melt that steel down to where it kind of form it looks like a muffin like a, like a oh no into, uh, oh there we go into 
Oh, did it? It, it, it froze for a minute. It, you, it froze on muffin, literally. <laughs> oh, oh, muffin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's where the conversation ends. Um, um, I might have to plug my phone in too, so I don't lose you. Oh no, no I, worries, no I, worries. But uh, but uh, so so there's a lot of confusion around Damascus steel today. What people refer to as Damascus steel. I typically refer to it more often as pattern welded steel. I think it's a more accurate term. Pattern welding is um, is, is, is just taking two different types of steel mm-hmm. that have different chemical makeups. So typically a, a modern bladesmith like me will pick one steel that has like a lot of nickel or cr- uh, chromium in it, something that's going to stay shiny. And then a, a, a different steel that uh, will be dark when you uh, etch them in acid. So you take those two types you fold them, you twist them, you can do crazy different types of things with them, typically under a press like my friends make. And uh, you got to f- fuse them together, which is very uh, difficult because you got to keep your cl- your steel uh, clean and get it hot enough. Mm. So because if you don't, you're going to get weld flaws and voids. Um, and you can create some beautiful patterns. Now, there's no functional advantage to folding, making pattern welded steel. It's it's today, it's purely for aesthetics, pu- purely for beauty. Um, you know, when I do it, I'm, I'm trying to echo and re- reflect the way ancient blades would have looked because historically, mm. when they were folding steel, they weren't doing, I mean, they probably did think it looked beautiful too, but they were doing it for a functional purpose. Right, like, to strengthen it, correct? Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. you got to think, you know, I can go on, you know, Amazon or a website and buy a perfect clean bar of steel and, you know, be in my, uh, you know, at my shop in two days. Those guys had to go on an iron rich you know, soil beach and drag a magnet, pick up the dirty, you know, uh, sand or, or raw ore. you know, they had mm-hmm. to smelt it down into what's called a bloom. It looks like a loofah Jeez. sponge from hell. That's like dirty and, you know, got yeah. pits and pores in it. And, uh, so the folding process for them was purifying out, uh, everything they don't want. <laughs> and the, the, the pattern was kind of like a happy accident in the end. Um, there's like debate whether it's, and it's so like a modern Smith, like me, um, we reveal that pattern by once we folded it and twisted it, we etch it in acid, uh, an acid called ferric chloride. Mm. And it, it etches the two different types of steels at two different or at a different speed. So you get your highs and lows, um, which creates that contrast and you can see the layers. Uh, but there's some debate whether ancient smiths even bothered to etch, you know? Um, Cause it's funny. I, I, I'm convinced if I took my work in a time machine and showed an ancient smith, he'd be like, what the, you know, what the hell is this? this is shit? You know, <laughs> he looks like crap. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I'm embracing a lot of like the kind of gnarly antique texture. Like I love that when it looks like lived and worn mm-hmm. because we live in such a modern shiny chrome age. But for them, I think they probably did bring their work up to like a mirror polish. Um, but to, to your and my modern eyes, mirror polish chrome things look cheap, I think. <laughs> yeah. So there's probably that difference in aesthetics. Like, uh, if I took my, my work back in time, but I hope that makes is a dis- good description of Damascus, AKA pattern welded steel. Yeah, yeah. no, you, you did well. I, you, <laughs> you just taught me a bunch of stuff. That was great. I uh, know cool. I found that fascinating. Uh, it's very cool. Well, man, we've been doing an hour and 30, 30 minutes. It's, <laughs> it's nuts. Um, it, I want, I want to give you this opportunity because I, I think what you do is, is so impressive and um, particularly what you teach. So um, I'd love to give you the opportunity to kind of like plug you, plug your shop um, and everything sure. in between. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah. So 
you, I, my business is called Cedar Lore Forge. And, and like you kindly mentioned, my website is cedarloreforge.com. Uh, I, of course, have, I have blades for sale. I'm really proud of uh, the, the ones currently on my website are a lot of the production line ones. So I've tried to, they're still, you know, out of most people's budgets, I understand, but they're as low as I can, I can bring them realistically without sacrificing any quality. So I'm really proud of the work that's uh, for sale listed on my site right now. Um, also, we'll have some, some even more uh, kind of complex high-end stuff probably later in the year as I finish up projects. So uh, if you want to purchase my work, you can sign up for my newsletter mailing list or just keep an eye on my social media profiles. You can find me on Facebook at Cedarlore Forge and on Instagram at Cedarlore on YouTube as well. Trying to post a lot of educational content on there. Uh, and on, t- on TikTok, you know, I, I never, <laughs> TikTok, TikTok's a new thing to me. I, I, I mocked it for a while, but I, I finally got over my You're pride. Killing right, You're killing it. You're killing it. I'm really glad I did. Yeah. It's, you know, with my goal and passion, wanting to, you know, help and inspire and encourage young people, it's mostly young people on there. So, you know, I'm not selling any blades off TikToks and that's fine. I, I'm, I'm connecting with young people, educating and uh, it's, it's wild how fast information goes viral and videos just blow up. So if you're a business owner or an actor listening to this and you're not on TikTok yet, I know people have their like political concerns about it. I get it. I think all social media is spying on us at this point. So I don't, I don't, I've got nothing to hide. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful for it at least. Uh, and for my business, it's, it's been nice. So you can find me on there. Um, but if you, if you have an interest in actually truly learning the craft with me, or if you just, you know, want to support my business and you 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 like what you hear and uh, want to uh, get behind, you know, me teaching other people, then the best way is to uh, partner with me and become an integral part of Cedar Laura Forge with me through Patreon. So you can find my my Patreon page uh, at patreon.com slash cedarlore. And so uh, here in the coming year, as I have a lot more time to now get back into full-time Cedar Lore, uh, working at my craft, teaching more, I'm going to be doubling down and and uh, really creating some some awesome content through my Patreon page uh, and some free educational content, like I said, on YouTube and TikTok. Um, and then, of course, you know, the world's a bit crazy right now and uh, understandably so, uh, limitations of travel and whatnot. So mm-hmm. um, that has been tricky for me to navigate with teaching in-person classes, but I'm still uh, finding opportunities and ways. I, I currently, my current shop, we are not uh, it's a shared community shop space with my friends at Core and Works. We love having people, but it's not really an ideal space to teach classes for now. Um, so if and when, until I can move and, and have a, a new space, um, I'm teaching at other schools around the country. So I uh, was teaching at some schools up in Wisconsin. I might in the future, but don't have any planned right now. This year, the, the, the only classes I have planned are at, at uh, Mark Adams School of Woodworking, like I mentioned, uh, and you can find I think it's just Mark, Mark with a C, no K, adams.com, uh, or if you just Google search it, uh, amazing school, amazing people. Um, I know there's like not much to do in Franklin, Indiana, but it's, it's well worth it. Uh, I've got some people from around the world, actually, who reached out to me wanting to come, and I'm super excited to potentially meet them there. So I've got three classes planned, um, two in May. And then one in September, the two in May are uh, uh, forging bronze, like I was mentioning. Uh, so those will be super fun, but they'll, they'll be very, uh, very forge heavy. <laughs> Not a lot of modern power tools in that one. So bring, bring water and, and a lot of energy if you, if you set up. And, uh, and then the one in September is a more traditional forge your own uh, mythopoetic uh, steel uh, knife class. So 
um, love, love teaching there. Um, um, there's some, there's some people who teach at that school who are like people that I idolized and looked, looked up to growing up, uh, woodworkers and stuff. So to be, um, teaching with the, the caliber of people that teach classes there, it's just like a dream come true. It's such a fun place. The students are high caliber. So I would highly recommend anybody interested to sign up and check it out. So sign up, sign up, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, no, uh, David, I had a blast doing this, man. It was such a pleasure having you on. Uh, Thanks. Me too. Yeah. 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 Hopefully we can do it again in the future. And uh, uh, thank you again. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. It's good to get to know you and appreciate your support. And yeah, if you're ever in Indiana, Indiana, hit me up and oh, I, I definitely uh, make room for me in a, in a class sometime soon. <laughs> Will do. Thanks, David. That was a lot of fun. And I can't wait to make that class work, man. Well, that's the show, folks. Boom. We did it. We made it through. Did we have fun? Did we learn some stuff? I did. So be sure to stay in touch with David and myself on Instagram. And if you haven't checked out CedarLittleForge.com, you really should. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the show this week. And as always, have fun, kids. I'll see you next time. This is No Red Tape.